Welcome to the Essential Church Podcast. Our goal is to strengthen and equip church and ministry leaders just like you through practical and theological discussions about some of the most pressing and important issues facing the local church today. We feature conversations with members of our team here at New Life Church in Colorado Springs, Colorado, as well as interviews with authors and thinkers from around the world. You can follow The Essential.Church on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Watch episodes on our YouTube channel and also subscribe to our podcast via iTunes and Spotify, where you'll find a full archive of previous conversations. And now here is this week's episode of The Essential Church Podcast. Welcome to this episode of The Essential Church Podcast, an ongoing conversation about some of the most important issues facing the local church. Today, I'm your host, Andrew Arndt, and today I cannot even describe to you how excited I am to take you to this conversation, an interview that Pastor Daniel Grothy and I did recently with our dear friend, Dr. Chris Green, who is a professor of public theology uh, and one of the brightest minds that we know. He's currently working on a project on Christologies. So the study of Jesus, but it's a very specific focus. He's reading the Old Testament and trying to spot Christ in a fresh way. And so we started a conversation with him about discerning Christ in the Old Testament. Honestly, guys, when I survey the landscape of Christianity at this moment in our history, fewer and fewer people are reading the Bible, and more and more people are troubled in particular by what they read in the Old Testament. And so I think the moment is right for us to think about how we can spot merciful Lord Jesus in the pages of the Old Testament text. So this is a two-part conversation. In this first part, uh, we just do a little theorizing around uh, the validity of finding Christ in the Old Testament and what it might look like to begin to do that. And then in the second part, which we'll release next week, uh, we actually do something that's very old school. We sit down with Chris and we do a Bible study. And so we pull out a few uh, texts of the Old Testament from some easier ones, to some much more difficult ones to try to see if we can't spot the presence of the living Lord Jesus. I think you're going to be really, really helped by these podcast conversations, these interviews. So without further commentary from me, here's to the interview. Well, we're here with our dear friend, Chris Green, who is the professor of public theology at Southeastern University in Lakeland, Florida, and the director for the St. Anthony Institute of Theology, Philosophy, and Liturgics. He's the author of and editor of a number of books, including most recently, now, all things beautiful and aesthetic Christology. He and his wife, Julie, live in Tulsa with their three kids, Zoe, Clive, and Emery, and their Weimaraner, Augie. Weimaraner, bro. Weimaraner. Get your mind right. Is I'm that not, right? I'm not, not, not going to listen to that. Weimaraner. <laughs> it's, it's a Weimaraner? Come on, bro. I'm Is German. this a real thing? You're German. You should do better than <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. So, okay, fine. Well, you know, <laughs> that is what it is. Is that right? Did I get that right? The Augie? Augie. That's daughter? right. Although, okay. I must say, my daughter now lives in Syracuse. She went to college this this fall. So, we now live in Tulsa with our two sons, and wow. our oh, right. oldest is in uh, in the other part of the world. You're, you're oh. beginning to empty nest. Jeez. That's right. Old Sad man. and ashes. I'm telling you. Well, we're excited. We've had Chris on the podcast a couple times, uh, those of you that have been faithful listeners of the Essential Church podcast. You've seen our conversations. You know that Chris is a really bright mind, and we love Chris for so many reasons, not least because he helps us. Um, I said to New Life East when he came and preached for us last fall, that Chris is astonished by God, and he helps us recover our astonishment at the God that's revealed mm -hmm. in uh, in the scriptures. And so he's currently working on a book on biblical Christology, which, without saying too much about it in general, is really just an attempt to discern Christ in the Old Testament, which is the conversation that we want to have today. You know, I think about the landscape of Christianity as it stands in America. Fewer and fewer people, all the stats are saying this, are reading their Bibles 
And I suspect of that group that are reading their Bibles, uh, fewer and fewer still are reading the Old Testament. I just think that it's one of those things that, given the moment that we live in in history, um, all of the social concerns that we have, some of the history of Christianity, I think that people are going, I, okay, I can, I can do Jesus. You know, the Jesus of the Gospels was great. There's some things in the epistles that I resonate with. The Psalms are fine, you know, but the rest of the Old Testament, man, it's a little bit bloody and bizarre. There are some strange stories in there. I'm just not sure what to do about that. And so we don't touch it with a 10-foot pole. So I just want to start with this question, Chris, and first, just welcome. We're grateful to have you. Thank you. Um, Why do you, what is it that you think, uh, what is it that you think about the Old Testament makes people, pastors included, so nervous? Why is it that we're having a difficult time with the Old Testament? Yeah, so I, I think one of the real tragedies of the American culture wars is that our Bible has been divided as we've been divided. Our, the scriptures are kind of sorted into texts that are too progressive for some of us and too conservative for others. But to, to your point, I think lots of folks are troubled by the Old Testament and other people are troubled by the Gospels. You know, lots of people are yeah. are troubled by Paul, and other people are troubled by everything but Paul. Yeah. You know, it, and this is perhaps a little unfair, but I don't think it's far from the truth to say you can tell kind of where we are aligned politically and socially mm-hmm. in the culture wars by which texts of the Bible trouble us. Mm-hmm. You know, which do we find difficult to handle mm-hmm. or difficult to swallow? Mm-hmm. So I think for those who struggle with the violence in the Old Testament, they tend, they tend to be reacting against what, what I would say has been the dominant form of evangelicalism. So mm-hmm. not that everyone is an ex-evangelical who holds right. that view, but people who are kind of ill at ease in dominant forms of evangelical spirituality, one of the things that makes them ill at ease is the ways that for generations we've been comfortable talking about the violence of the old testament or uh-huh. have have simply looked past it uh-huh. i think in some ways it's that it's less a trouble with the text and more a trouble with what the text has represented in their own spiritual tradition mm-hmm. and if for those who are careful though and get past that kind of initial disturbance and read carefully mm-hmm. i think the old testament seems demanding in a way that disorients us because we've all of us wherever we are in the culture wars we've all been conditioned that the truer something is the simpler it is and what we mean by simple is it comes to me easily it doesn't require a lot of effort on my part yeah. and anything that doesn't show itself to me quickly and easily i'm suspicious of it yeah. why isn't this clearer than it is and reading the church fathers reading medieval and even early modern readers of scripture, it it comes clear that we're a generation, and I hear I mean our grandparents, our parents, and us, we're we're Christians who we re, we have an allergy to difficulty. Mm-hmm. We don't we don't like the demands that scripture puts on us. Mm-hmm. And that puts us away from the center of the tradition because traditionally Christians have have embraced the demand that scripture puts on us, mm. uh, it welcomed it, invited it. So I think, I think some of the problem is just, it's hard and yeah. we sense the difficulty and we recoil from it. And maybe we live in a culture where we're just less patient. We need everything on demand. 
And so we want it to give easy answers and it needs to apply to what I'm going through right now. And we just have less tolerance maybe. Can you say more about, I like that word that you're using there, demanding. I've heard you use other words to describe Mm. what the Old Testament does to us. But I'm wondering if you can just expand on that. Say more about the way in which the Old Testament is demanding of us. Yeah, so one one way into it is to look at Proverbs 1, Mm -hmm. which I think is a kind of pedagogy for how God teaches you can also see you can see the same thing at play in Jesus teaching mm-hmm. when you look at Jesus as the teacher. And, and this is the tell all when when we're teaching people about the faith, we we end up saying things like Jesus was a simple teacher. But in fact, if you read the Gospels, yeah. that's simply not true. Right. Yep. No one understood what Jesus was saying. Those who thought they understood wanted to kill him. Yeah. And it's those who understand him best are the first to admit, we don't know what you're saying, but we're going to stay close to you anyway. Right. So we, we've, we have this prejudice about the simplicity of truth, the ease with which it comes to how quickly it comes, as you said. So I think we, we need to come back to God teaches us the way we need to be taught, not necessarily the way we want to learn. Mm -hmm. And Proverbs 1 tells us that, but the, the weight is on us mm-hmm. as the learner to seek out wisdom right. and to seek it out in these dark sayings, parables, these riddles of the wise, right? So the wise are going to talk to us. And here I'm thinking, this is Jesus, of course, but Jesus, as he speaks in his scriptures, these are riddles. These are parables. These are proverbs. These are dark sayings, mm-hmm. and they require effort on our part. So the demand is God is riddling us. Yeah. Like God is saying something that requires our attention, requires our care, demands that we effort yeah. to understand. Yeah, and we, we're we're un, we're unused to that. Right? <laughs> we're we're ill at ease with it. I found it to be helpful personally. Thinking about the Old Testament, to I love that you're bringing up Proverbs one, the dark sayings. Um, it's been helpful for me to think about the Old Testament as a parable. That doesn't mean that it's not historical, right. uh, that it doesn't have historical roots, and that we can't verify it through archaeology and stuff like that. That's not what I'm saying. But when you look at the Old Testament, to go actually, what God is doing is He's not providing us easy solutions to the right. questions that we're bringing to the table. But what God is doing is he's riddling us. What God is yep. doing is he's putting conundrums in front of us that are good for us. But what that's going to require is that we look past the surfaces. Absolutely. And we're trying to discern what is the, what's the twist? What's the, what's the deep thing that you're doing here, God? And the way that Christians have answered that for 2,000 years is that the depth of the text mm-hmm. is Absolutely. the man who was fully God and walked among us as fully God and fully man, that Jesus is somehow the depth of the Old Testament text. So I want to just ask you, Chris, um, why is it theologically appropriate for us to search for Christ in the Old Testament scriptures? Why is this not an imposition from without, but speaking as a Christian, speaking as someone who's bathed himself in the New Testament, why is it theologically valid for us to do that and not some kind of imposition? Well, but because of our relationship to him, he's the one who's teaching us in these readings. And so Jesus is our rabbi mm-hmm. and these are the texts he's using to speak to us. So as his students, of course, we, we have to listen to his teaching, right? We have to listen to the ways in which he's reading these texts for us. Yep. And I think 
Of course, if we weren't Christians, he weren't our rabbi, we wouldn't read those texts this way. Right. Right. But they're his texts, not his. In a, they're his because of who's, who he is. Right? Jesus is a son of Abraham, mm-hmm. a, a son of Moses, a son of David. And as a rabbi in Israel, these texts, he's been brought up in them mm-hmm. and teaches us from them. So that's that's where we begin, I think, in terms of the why these texts. But of course, as Christians believing what we believe about who he is, yeah. we think that not only was he raised, trained, raised in and trained on these texts, but they they are always his. Like yeah. He's the one who's breathing them from the beginning. Yeah. So he's not simply learning them. He's the one who inspired them in the first place. And I think that that conviction obviously sets us apart from Muslims and Jews and so on, and even from a lot of other Christians. But I, I think that's where we have to begin, right? These are his words, mm-hmm. and they're the words he's chosen for us because he knows they're the ones we need. Mm-hmm. He's teaching us the way we need to be taught, not the way we want to learn. And to your to your point about the the simplicity or the ease of interpretation, I, I've started saying to my students and to anyone who's studying with me that the plain reading is always wrong. Hmm. The plain reading is always wrong because the plain reading has no salt in it. Hmm. That the right reading is always salty in the sense that the plain reading, even if literarily or technically it's acceptable, right? I can hmm. show how it, my reading, the plain reading meets the rules of interpretation, hmm. but that's not Jesus speaking to me. Right. Getting a, a kind of justifiable meaning out of a text, that's not why we study Scripture. We study Scripture because Jesus is teaching us in that study. And so when he speaks to me, it's never plain. It's salty. It it affects me. It salts the sacrifice that is my life. Hmm. And it has an edge. It has a it has a burn or a sting or a sweetness to it. Hmm. And I think that that's, that's how we discern whether or not a reading is in the right spirit or not, right? So, yeah, go ahead, Dan. It has an edge to it. It's occurring to me as we talk this out that Simeon's word to Mary is that a sword will pierce your own soul. Yes. And we talk about the Bible as the sword of the spirit, right? Ephesians 6 and all that. But typically, I I wrote down, we think that we use the sword of the spirit against the world and against the enemy, but it's actually God using the sword of the spirit against us. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, talk to me about that. No, I think I think that's exactly right. The, the the reading of scripture. Let's use an image from Jesus about the the forest that's growing in my eye and the splinter that's in yours. So I think bad readings of scripture are always obsessed with the splinter that's in my that's enemy's right. eye, or my neighbor's eye. So I'm I'm pouring through the text to show this is your problem, right? Look at this splinter I found. When in fact the 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 goal, the spirit's goal for us while Jesus is teaching us these scriptures is to harvest this forest that's in our own eye. And I think the, that, that makes all the difference. That determines the spirit in which we read, right? Mm. That, that it's, it's possible to have a technically right reading, but a spiritually unfaithful one. Mm-hmm. And in the way that, you know, the, the demons tremble and believe mm-hmm. that there are ways of reading scripture that, yeah, I mean, you can justify it, but it's not altering you. Mm-hmm. It's not sanctifying you. Yeah. 
And there, Joel Green makes this distinction between reading the Bible and reading Scripture, and he means something very much like this: that reading the Bible, you're making a you're making textual sense of words on a yeah, page, right? But fine, right? But that's not yet hearing the word of the Lord, mm. and it's. It's that that matters. It's hearing these texts as the voice of the living Jesus directing us toward yeah. a share in God's character and a responsibility to love our neighbor. I'm going to say something to you. Tell me if this is an accurate way to represent what you think. If our reading of the Old Testament doesn't cripple our self-righteousness, we haven't yet touched the spirit of Christ. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think it it should liberate us, right, from our own obsession with our image with our and and we and we'll know that it's happening right it'll humble us it'll embolden us but it'll absolutely strip us away from the pretensions of self-righteousness mm-hmm. and and we'll be grateful for it i mean uh-huh. when the process is over at least bring it on uh-huh. yeah uh-huh. okay so chris drop you into a scenario here rabbi joe is a longtime friend he's been coming to new life for the last 5 or 6 years he's not a Believer in Jesus, he's Rabbi Joe, and he comes and sits on the front row, center aisle, right below the pulpit, and he's got his yarmulke on, he's doing his thing, he's ready, he's, hear ye the word of the Lord. Raising his hands. Raising his hands, filming our worship every service. It's un, it's an unbelievable uh, thing to watch, and we've had conversations and meals and texts back and forth all the time. But last year, I'm getting up to preach Galatians. Paul is talking about those darn Judaizers, you know? And I look over, front row, center aisle, Rabbi, Rabbi Joe, Joe and his daughter, Yael, sitting right there ready to hear the word of the Lord from me, and I break into a cold sweat, you know? Sheesh, <laughs> I fall on my knees. Like, I'm, I'm nervous out of my mind, yeah. and I'm thinking, Lord, help me to not say anything that would be destructive. Uh, help me not say anything that it, that would be a misrepresentation. Yep. Help me not say anything that would... So uh, let me just take that scene that I was carrying as I preached. By the way, he came up afterwards and, and said, you are a master of the soul. And I was so thankful to yeah. hear that I didn't wound yes. Rabbi Joe that day. But mm. some folks are nervous about uh, reading Christ into the Old Testament or in the Old Testament as a form of violence against Israel's scriptures and the Jewish people. It's supersessionism. It's, it's Johnny-come-lately showing up and stealing their story. Talk to me about that. What would you say to that scene, and how do we read the scriptures without being proud, arrogant, uh, wounding our brothers? Our colonizing sisters? of Israel's colonizing. scriptures. There you go. Yeah, so I think first we we have to admit, and not just admit, but confess, that a lot of Christians, a lot of us, have done that very thing. I mean, Daniel, lots of times we've been in that very position and not broken out in a cold sweat. And maybe we need to. And we should have. Yeah, we ought right? to. We should, we should have had that sense of, mm. hey, this could wound. Yeah. Right? And I think just a, a kind of side street here, mm-hmm. one of our problems is we— read scripture unthinkingly, assuming that just because Paul said that, not only do we know what he mean, but he must have been right in saying it the way that he said it. Mm. So there there are things that Paul says, or John or anyone else, that we should should ask, Jesus, was this, is this, am I hearing it rightly? Mm -hmm. Interrogate it. Right. And, And ask what it is that Paul meant to say. Yeah. And 
whether whether or not we can get at that. And if this, in fact, might have wounded Paul's own hearers, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I, I don't know why we're uncomfortable with considering that, but I think mm-hmm. we, we should become comfortable with it, right? Mm-hmm. That we we need to interrogate that possibility too. And right? to add that, some color to that, I think one of the things that you've taught me, Chris, just in talking with you and in your writings is that that doesn't mean that we have to give up the inspiration or the authority of scripture. Yes. Not it's at all. quite possible that, in fact, I would argue that it's... Um, it is what God has done is that he's inspired these scriptures and these scriptures are authoritative in some ways, just to the extent that it invites us into, mm-hmm, into the yeah. interrogation. Hey, Paul, why are you saying it like that? You know, Paul is not the sinless yeah. son of God. That's right. <laughs> he's trying, That's right. he's a human being trying to serve the sinless son of God and working it out. Yeah. And I think one, Paul is quick to say of himself, right? I think I have the Lord when I say this, yeah. he's telling you up front, right? i and and there's a reason that is in our inspired text yeah. yes. that Paul's own admission of his lack of clarity. I think the Lord is with me. Yeah, in saying this, and and his his like in Second Corinthians where he's kind of recounting, I engaged you in this particular way. Yeah, and I don't entirely regret it. But when you read what he's saying, you can hear the regret in his voice, mm-hmm. right? That he's engaged them realizes, man, I shouldn't have done it that way, but God was faithful anyway. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. So I, I think we need, oddly enough, you know, and, and this is a little smart aleck, but I, I I do stand by it. Tragically, in and this has a lot to do with the culture war stuff that we started talking about a few minutes ago. Many of us have been raised in communities that talked about the Bible, but didn't actually read it well. <laughs> right? and, and to make that to put a sharper point on it, we talked about what the Bible is. Right. Yes. We didn't pay attention to what the scriptures say. Yes. Right. And there's almost a, an wow. inverse proportional relationship. The higher we have, the higher our view of the Bible, yeah. the lower our attention to the texts, yeah. the detail in the text. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Care right. with which we, which we take them. Right. Yeah. And I, I think what we need right now, even though I affirm, I have, an, an insanely high view of scripture that I don't think we should use that as some kind of defense against the actual work of reading right. and learning what it is. The Lord is Lord is saying. So I think Daniel, to answer your question, we need to confess we have sinned in that way. Mm-hmm. We need to take seriously the possibility that even some of those who are speaking in scripture sinned in that way. Yeah. Right. Then I think, we need to acknowledge we come to these texts as guests. Right. We are branches grafted in to Israel's story. Right. And these texts are their texts yeah. that God has welcomed us to read. So I, whenever I come to anything, Genesis, Psalms, whatever else, I'm, I'm coming to someone else's text that yep. I, as a guest, have been yeah. invited by the Lord to hear. Yep, yep. And if yep. I ever lose that sense of, yeah. I've been shown hospitality, yep. then I, I will go wrong. So good. So like in Romans, when Paul says, you know, what, what is the advantage then to the Jew? Right. Much in every way. Right. right? Theirs are the scriptures. Yeah. He says that outright. Theirs are the scriptures. Yeah. These things happen to them for us, but they're their scriptures. Yeah. Paul never forgets this, and and we must not. Mm-hmm. Willie Jennings, I think his account of race mm-hmm. shows that racism as we know it now begins in the church forgetting its Gentileness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that this is, an, is a particular instance of that forgetting. We, right. We've forgotten 
that these texts are not texts we get to use as we like. Yes. Ben, but, Chris, I have so much more that I want to ask you about that, but we have to, we got to, we got to keep the, uh, the podcast moving along. So we're going to just, for our listeners, we're going to do something, uh, in this show that we have not done in any show. We're actually going to do a little Bible study together, Community which is Bible be, study. It's super fun. We're going to, uh, put a couple texts on the table and just wrestle with them Christologically together. But I want to ask you one final question. Just, I think it's helpful to think about, um, they don't, rubrics don't always work, but sometimes they get us moving in the right direction. And one of the rubrics that the church has used since the church fathers, I think you can date this back all the way to origin. And then during the medieval period, this was huge is that there were kind of four senses of the old Testament. So yeah. when you're reading the old Testament and, you know, some of our listeners might not be aware of this. So this is just good to talk through. They would say, well, the first kind of layer of reading is, uh, the historical reading, you're just trying to read it through and what's going on, bare surface reading. One step below that would be the moral reading. So we're looking for the way in which the Spirit is trying to teach us behavior. How should we behave? How should we not behave? But even that is not getting to the full depth, because if these scriptures really are a revelation of the full plan of God in Christ, then you have two more senses. One just below that would be what they call the anagogical or the eschatological. So in some way, this is how is this text revealing the full plan of God at the end of history? And then one step below that would be really the Christological or the spiritual, there's different language, but that this is somehow revealing Christ and his church. And as an interpreter of the Old Testament, that's actually been really, really helpful for me. I'll take any text from the Old Testament and I'm thinking about it. How does this fit? in those different things. And as a preacher, even it's helpful for me. There is moral advice given here. You have to be careful sometimes with how you're applying it, but it's there. But then also this is like taking us into the depth of God's plan. And it's showing us something of the person of Christ too. And this has been helpful to me. So I just want to ask you maybe, um, to what extent do you find like those four senses helpful? And is there something that you would maybe add to that, that fills it out? Or maybe you don't find it helpful at all. Just talk to us about that for a second, and then we'll do our little study together. Yeah, no, I, I do think it's helpful as as a way in. I, I tend to agree with Origen and Maximus that because Christ is our teacher, these texts have infinite meaning. Yeah. There's there's no limit to what the text can mean. Yeah, you never hit the bottom floor. Exactly. And so I think I wouldn't want, and I'm, not that you're suggesting this, but I wouldn't want that to be heard as a technique. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think it, as a rubric, it can teach us there's always more going on than you realize. Exactly. And it, and notice what you've described there is there's what the text says. So what we'll, what we'll call a literal reading or a historical one. But then there's what the Lord is saying in what the text says. Mm-hmm. And that has multi dimensions, right? It, it, it radi- radiates out in all kinds of ways, but in ways that call us to love of God and neighbor, revealing God and neighbor mm-hmm. and exposing that self-righteousness in us. So I think how whatever rubric we we take, however we approach it, the key is to realize there's no exhaustive reading. There's no one right reading that ends all reading. Right? And how could there be? Because if the if finally the object or the thing to which the text is pointing is infinite God, <laughs> then welcome to the adventure, ladies and gentlemen. Absolutely right. Absolutely. Right.